Rolling. All right. So I'm going to do a clap in three, two, one, clap. Three, two, one. I mistimed that really badly. (laughs) (laughs) I overthought. I overthought. You're listening to Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses. I'm Tom McLean. I'm Tom Lang. And I'm Evie. And we got Isaac, as usual, in our headphones, keeping us factual, keeping us honest. And uh, Mitch Alexander, unfortunately, is out on assignment today. But in his stead, Ooh. we've managed to score Zach from Ozpol Snackpot. G'day, Zach. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. This is my first ever guest spot on another podcast. So thank you very much for the opportunity. Oh, uh, you're so welcome. It's great to have you. Make sure you uh, try and speak over us as much as you can because <laughs> it's not easy. We're very loud and obnoxious. <laughs> and <laughs> Normally, I only have to compete with one other co host. So uh, I am going to have to try 300% harder. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is the battle of getting in your riff in first. Quickest riff on the pod. with a funny one um this is just an excuse for me to talk about scott morrison's weird bleach job what's up with that <laughs> boys don't know about toner as as a boy who has yes. gone bleached before yeah we did i just didn't know get some purple shampoo fuck it changed my life honestly <laughs> when i when i learned about it um so yeah i'll i'll hit scomo up and let him know <laughs> hang on wait so what's the context here he okay so he showed up and looked weird so what actually happened is that Scott Morrison was supposed to attend a cabinet meeting and then didn't um, and then said something about his plane not working and that he couldn't attend and, oh, well, I guess that's just how the cookie crumbles. And then Mm. literally within 24 hours, uh, multiple people have verified that, oh, of course, he's got like five different planes. There's no reason why he couldn't get on a plane and make it to Canberra. (laughs) There was also people talking about like, why didn't you just – Call in. Yeah, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And he had some line about, like, there's no (laughs) secure line. And he's like, aren't you in Townsville? Isn't there a military base around the corner? You're the prime minister. (laughs) You have a laptop. Don't you have a secure mobile phone? Like, and everyone in, like, you know, since March has been on Zoom phone calls and the prime minister hasn't found a way to do a secure Zoom call with his constituents or with his um with his other co-workers. So weird. <laughs> I mean, it's great to be able to opt out of ever doing a Zoom call. And if I yes. was like the <laughs> boss of the country, I'd be like, you know what? Nah, I'm just. Cameras I'll tell you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hang on. So was there just a meeting and he just didn't show up? Yeah, it's like their regular cabinet meeting. I mean, meetings. he called ahead. But he didn't just no-show. Okay. No, I think it was a national cabinet meeting. Not it was like, national cabinet. Yeah. yeah, as in like the corona response cabinet. How did he call ahead? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it I'm a going mystery. into a tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> just popping onto the Zoom call to be like, hey, guys, sorry, just uh, just popping in here to say I couldn't figure out Zoom, so I can't make the meeting. Uh, <laughs> My connection's real dodgy. Hangs up in one click. He knows fucking how to do it. <laughs> but, yeah, like, so there's nothing really to this story other than he told an obvious fib and everyone knows that he fibbed. And, like, he turns up looking crazed and, like, sunburned and bleached, like, two days later and can, like, Yeah, here's where the bleach why. job comes into it. Yeah, yeah, like, he just gave a press conference and just didn't answer it. He had this, like, 
strange, yeah, yellow hair. It, it's that's the least explicable part, but nobody even asked him about it. But yeah, also it turns out that there were like photos of him at a fundraiser on the night that he was like, oh, I can't, I can't go. So we're saying the implication here is he just went too hard. Yeah, he was on kick on. One hundred percent. Yeah, he went so hard that his hair turned white. <laughs> he saw a g- 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 ghost. <laughs> Look, him him not being able to make a meeting after kick-ons is maybe the most relatable thing about him. But like it'd oh, be no. nice if he just didn't lie about it. Just say like Have we been humanizing ScoMo this whole time. Fuck. I kind of didn't want to include this just in case it was Kevin Rudd's strip joint moment. Um animated. Another been there done okay. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did Kevin Rudd have a strip joint moment? Didn't he go to a strip I, club and everyone was like, he's a cool guy now? Yeah, he went to a strip club and everyone's like, oh okay, God. cool, he's a normal dude. <laughs> he stood near a beer. Like, that's so funny. In, in Australia, that's the opposite of a scandal. It's like, <laughs> that was planned. That was part of the campaign trail. <laughs> because it turns out there's no such thing as a scandal. It's just people do stuff and it's all, does the media hate this guy or not? If they don't hate him, they go, oh, he's just a daggy dad. If they do hate him, he goes, they go, this is unprofessional. It's a scandal. <laughs> no, I hate Scott Morrison yeah. when he's doing human things. Like, putting together that chicken coop <clears throat> was just like, fuck Well, that's the whole point, fuck right? You, fuck yeah. you. We hate him. <laughs> but the media goes, oh, he's made a chicken coop. He should run the country. <laughs> uh, so human to name your chickens after famous women. What, what are you doing, bro? <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> For more information on that story, see our episode, what was it, episode 40? I want to say it was 40-ish. Just check out a couple of our episodes. <laughs> more of, more information about the, the chicken scandal. Chicken gate. <laughs> this is just like emblematic of a larger issue without extrapolating too much um, that no one will ask Scott Morrison about his bad die job and say, dude, why did you get a bad die job? Yeah, I mean, that's that's it's, it's quite literally the, the Emperor's New Clothes, right? It's Scott Morrison <laughs> fronts up to a press conference with bright yellow hair and not a single person is like, why is your hair yellow? It doesn't come up. Hashtag this is not journalism. Yeah, this is the problem with Canberra journalists. They don't know enough yeah. about hair. <laughs> I'm like, I don't even understand why Scott Morrison, and I'm not a Canberra journalist, so I don't have to, but I don't understand why he would bleach his hair. Isn't his hair already like whitish grey? What, what are you bleaching oh, it Oh, God, to? have we uncovered a thing where it turns out that Scott Morrison's actually like 28? I think you're going to say he's actually a ginger. He's dying his hair to look more like John Howard. Yeah. He's trying to go all the way Silver Fox and, like, the roots aren't really matching up, so he's just got to go, like, a full head of foils instead of a half head and just tone it. Storming out of a freshly opened hairdresser. I look nothing like George Clooney. (laughs) (laughs) He's shaving in the bald spot. It's, like, completely faked because it looks, you know, like, prime ministerial. Oh, it's like how Obama went really grey towards the end of his term and everyone's Mm. like, man, he's working so hard, his hair's gone totally (laughs) grey. Oh, God. Yeah, but Scott Morrison's just been like, oh, yeah, corona pandemic, this is going to be my... My ticket to the Obama Silver Fox situation. But then he's just slept like a baby every night because he has no conscience. (laughs) My hair's not turning white. Why? I actually did think that maybe I was getting less great because I've been getting a lot of sleep recently and never going outside or doing anything. And I'm like... Hannah, have I gone less grey? And she's like, no, you've just got more hair. It's just harder to see the greys. <laughs> I'll take it. All 
All right, now we've got a real story. Cool, yeah, I thought this was a pretty funny story, um, which was that the Victorian government had uh, basically made this plan to allow 500 horse owners to attend the horse race, the Cox Plate, uh, which was this weekend that that we're recording that it's happening. Um, in other words, like there's a horse race going on and they were like, yeah, 500 rich people and their connections are allowed to mm. come to this thing, which obviously upset people in Victoria because we're, you know, until recently have been under fucking curfew and still can't see people from more than one household. Right. We still, cause current restrictions are, you can only hang out with up to 10 people <laughs> outside from one other household. Yeah. Yes, right? but you're you're not rich and don't own a horse. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got one other household, but as many horseholds as you want. Because <laughs> this this race is happening in metropolitan Melbourne. Yes, it yeah. happened yesterday, and uh, another uh, knock on effect that this had, by the way, um, they specifically had the Cox Plate during the day and they moved the grand final, which is which was held up in Queensland this year of the AFL, they moved it to an evening session so they could have maximum eyeballs on the Cox Plate. That's crazy. This isn't I've even never a even heard race, of the Cox Plate. Right? It's not the fucking <laughs> Melbourne Cup. It's the Mooney Valley something. Yeah. Yeah, it's held the Mooney Valley Racing Club. And I mean, yeah, maybe it's not a big deal to you guys, but you don't listen to conservative talkback radio. So you have to understand that you're not the audience here. Is this the most important thing? <laughs> but, yeah. um, it was just hilarious to me that the, yeah, the racing minister, which it's fucked that we have a minister for uh, racing yeah, in it's Victoria. <laughs> um, Martin Pecula, who um, a friend summed him up for me really well, which is that um, like some people suggested that he might be next in line f- to be premier in Victoria. And someone mm-hmm. else is like, nah, he's way too lazy. He'll never, Mm. it'll never happen. (laughs) Which I think is what you want for the Minister for Racing. He sounds like the kind of guy who just, you want someone who just loves schmoozing over a decorum. Oh, yeah. So, a Minister for Racing, it just seems like basically you go to a lot of long lunches. Oh, a million percent. Oh, my God. I just looked at his Twitter account and he, his job title is Minister for Going to Long Lunches. Like, he's seriously (laughs) Minister for Industry Support and Recovery, Trade, Business Precincts, Tourism, Sport, Major Events and Racing. Oh, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) All of those are just like... Schmoozing up to rich people. Honestly, you kind of have to res- respect the grift. Like that is all the portfolios yeah. that you could possibly want for just like a lifetime <laughs> of long lunches. That's amazing. He's really got so many. Po- I'm like, I'm looking at this guy and I'm feeling a bit proud. <laughs> I-, I hate to say it. <laughs> this is the Australian dream right here to claw your way up to the top of a political party. Yeah, just on Palmer's alone. Martin Bakula, if you're listening to this, you have to get me into the Kelvin Club now. This is your responsibility. <laughs> Shut the fuck up and get me into the Kelvin Club. I mean, he's not doing anything else with this time. <laughs> Evie, what's the Kelvin Club? <laughs> it's just one of those membership-only dinner clubs in Melbourne. It's real nice. Yeah, and you just know that this dude has memberships to every single one of these clubs. Get me in. I- Give me a guest pass. All right. Sponsor me. <laughs> anyway. But so... <laughs> Pecula announced this decision that the, not only was the race going to go ahead, but that 500 horse owners and their connections were going to be allowed to attend. He announced it on Twitter and about three hours later tweeted again being like, okay, so mistakes were made. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> basically the Twitter backlash was so swift and so brutal that the government... <laughs> 
immediately reverse their decision, which is just so funny to me. Yeah. I have never seen Twitter unite like that. Yeah. The entire timeline for the entire duration was just people pissed off about the race. Melbourne lost their shit. For real. Yeah, it's like everyone just put their energy of just how fucked off they are at the moment into this absolute, <laughs> like, what the fuck are you doing? Everyone's losing their minds. Absolutely fucking. <laughs> Actually, it's true because literally... No one in Melbourne has anything better to do. We're sitting on the internet. We're being angry about lockdown. Like, what did they fucking expect? Oh, it, it's a massive misstep. And uh, like, I think it's interesting to try and figure out exactly why they did this, because it seems so, on the face of it, to be such an obviously bad idea. You've got, as you yeah. say... A city full of terminally online, very angry people who can't leave their houses. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, cool thing happening this weekend for the rich people. They're going to go and watch animals get abused for fun and money. Um, and you're and, not invited. And you are the opposite of invited. You can, you can watch it on TV, though. You can watch mm. all the, the mimosa drinking happening on the TV. And you can gamble on TV, too, for it. Is this just like Martin Pakula? Like, because he accepts so many racing lobbyists, he just has a sort of view of the general population as about 80% horse owners. I actually think that that is a, is, a, is a strong part of it, that the kind of circles that not only as racing ministers, but generally just as a state MP that you run in, a million percent mm. everybody, like, has a share in a horse and has a, you know, regularly goes to the races and shit. But they're mm. like... Most convincing theory I've heard about this, and which I also think is the funniest, is that this was a test run for the Melbourne Cup. Basically, mm. they're ah. trying to work out whether or not they're going to be able to get enough community support to allow, a, like, you know, however that many, a thousand or two thousand people to attend. And if that is actually why they did this, it's so funny because they just got they got so brutally shut down <laughs> in this <laughs> test run that they had to have reversed the decision three hours later. So it makes me really hopeful that um, the Melbourne Cup is going to be like brutally taken down by uh, Corona this year, which would be amazing. A quick bit of context for the international listener. The Melbourne Cup is an annual horse race that goes on in Melbourne that is a huge deal. Like, we have a public holiday for it. It's one of the biggest horse races in the world, right? One of the biggest horse races in the world, probably. Um, but it's also horrible. Like, mm. a, a bunch of just rich pricks go to this race, horse, race course, just get so drunk. There are always photos mm. afterwards of just, like, people... Absolutely just off their tits. Just gone crazy on this on this uh, field. And, and the horses regularly get injured and then murdered uh, behind a curtain. They don't do it on the screen, but the curtain is on the screen. Um, it, it, it's Yeah, there's, there's a lot of sort of controversy around it. Uh, there's protests against it every year as well that sort of get bigger each time because each time people are like, why are we... Why are we still doing this? Can we have this? a public holiday for something that's not fucked, <laughs> please? It's kind of pushed as like this major cultural moment. Like it's in all of the newspapers, every primary school has bloody uh, a pretend horse race tipping yeah. Oh my God, primary schools do this. They did this. So I grew up in yeah. Sydney. I only moved to Melbourne like about 10 years ago. But in Sydney, they like in my primary school, they still had like, you know, everyone rips off the slip from the paper and they put it into a hat and you bet 20 cents, which is fucking, mm -hmm. don't teach your kids gambling. What the fuck? Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Evie, come on. Australians love a punt. Yeah, we love a punt. We, we love putting our pocket money in for horses for some reason, whether they can't explain to children why. <laughs> I mean, I think kids can understand the concept of a race, but they just don't tell them about all of the horses that die. And, and yeah, so it's a big thing in Australia, but take that big 
thing of it being in Australia and it's like, you know, a nationwide event, uh, the race that stops the nation is the line that's used um, to advertise mm. it. Um, and amplify that by one million if you actually live in Melbourne. It's mm. insane. Like there's betting mm. ads all over the place. Like that's what's so weird about this year. Usually at this time of year, at the start of October, I'd start like, you know, I'd be going to the train station in the morning and it would just be covered with Ladbrokes, Betfair, all those ads. Oh, yeah. And that's the thing. I think it's the horse racing thing is entirely pushed from the top. Like it it has become part of the cultural kind of consciousness and, and people go along with it because they're like, oh, it's, it's obviously Melbourne Cup Day. It happens every year. It's a thing. It's in the papers. People would miss it just because it would be a change if it wasn't there. But most people don't actually care about the horse race. Uh, they like an excuse to get drunk, they like a day off, they like a bit of a gamble, um, and it is pushed so much that everyone accepts it as part of life. But I think the contrast with the grand final is what I want to point out. Because mm-hmm. the grand final is, and, and AFL is kind of like an event for the people. Like, in Melbourne, everyone loves the footy, they... and. I say everyone. I don't give a shit about it. But most, I do. most I people love the footy. I care. Evie's, Evie's the, the, the jock of the pod. Um, <laughs> I'm the only one that cares. Everyone follows a team. And, and there's there's games happening like all the time throughout the half of the year when we have games. And it all culminates in the grand final. And friggin' everyone in Melbourne goes to the pub or goes to someone's house and they watch the grand final. And it's a huge deal. It's probably huge like... Deal. The biggest event in the Melbourne calendar, right? Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, like so, maybe Christmas, but yeah. I mean, but that's, that's yeah, that's different. Um, <laughs> yeah. The biggest Melbourne-specific specific event. event. Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. It's seriously like Melbourne Christmas. What about Moomba? It's inescapable. Yeah, fucking what <laughs> it's, Oh, shit. It's inescapable. Um, and if you cancelled the grand final, you would, like, for no good reason, you would have riots. If you cancelled the Melbourne Cup for no good reason, you have a bunch of pissed off people on AM radio. You'd have to have a bunch of rich people who wanted to get drunk and do cocaine. But most Melburnians, it's 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 not the same. The, the Melbourne Cup is for rich people. Yeah. And the AFL is kind of for everyone. And the normie mm. part of the Melbourne Cup, in terms of like mm. what's for everyone else, is that if you it's buy just like yeah, if you buy a ticket to the birdcage or whatever their place is on the gr- mm. on the grounds there, and you pay like you know fifteen dollars a drink minimum, mm. and you, that's just your piss up for the year. And I mean, yeah. like you can have a cheaper piss up at home, but like you have to like it, it's sort of. It's good that you put the contrast between the AFL and the Melbourne Cup because everyone has like slowly realised, especially over the last 10 years, as the protest movement against the Melbourne Cup has increased. They're like, oh, but wait, why Why are we doing this? <laughs> There's yeah. nothing in it for us. We're like, you know, we're looking for an excuse to party, but the, the usefulness of it has evaporated. I actually think right. also that having the public holiday for the AFL Grand Final um, has – limited the usefulness of the Melbourne Cup as a public holiday. Do you see where I'm going with this? Like, like there's been like a long stretch of months where we haven't had a public holiday. We get to the tail right. end of the year and everyone's looking forward to like just finally having a day off. Hmm. And now like having the, like, you know, making the space there for the AFL grand final has actually made the the usefulness of the Melbourne Cup as a public holiday it's kind of like, oh, okay, we've just got another one. And also, what are we doing it for again? <laughs> mm. I, 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 I would say the public holiday is the only part of Melbourne Cup that I support. 
Yeah. Yeah, just keep it a and public I, holiday. <laughs> keep it a public holiday. There's a there's a great reason to party at the end of the year. I, we made I it to the end of the year. I don't know if I'm on board with criticizing the public holiday. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm not criticizing the public holiday. I'm just criticizing the fact that like, you know, it is basically being used as an anchor point for the end of the year. Mm. That everyone just sort of looks forward to like, you know, the Melbourne Cup day. I always make this joke that when you're in Melbourne, Melbourne Cup day is the point where everyone stops giving a shit at work. Because they're like, we're, le- we're leading into Christmas and it's like, oh, it's almost the end of the year. I don't give a fuck anymore. Yeah. It's also true. the one where you're sort of forced to make the choice between like skiving off at work a little bit because the public holiday is always on the Tuesday. And so you're like, am I going to take a sickie on the Monday? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I think it's like the with this whole Melbourne lockdown thing, I don't actually know what's what's happened with the grand final. It's happened in Brisbane, right? Everyone in Melbourne's just watching on TV, right? Yeah, it happened... Y- it happened yesterday. Okay. <laughs> See, there you go. Um, but yeah, yeah so I I everyone was pissed that. off about the Cox Plate, um, specifically because Friday and Saturday were supposed to be the days where everyone hangs out with their family, everyone has a barbecue, you know, mm. looking forward to the grand final. The grand final was normally during the day, but it was during the evening this year. Um, and just having that sort of, you know, general tradition. Uh, that's so funny. Like, you know, the, we've broken tradition for this. And everyone's just, like, looking at all these rich people going to the Cox Plate and they're like, oh, hell no. Well, and here's the thing is <laughs> the grand final, they're like, okay, Melbourne lockdown, you know, and Daniel Andrews' line the whole way through has been like, we're being really strict. We're getting this done. It's for the good of everybody. And and this is my thesis statement. Everyone in Melbourne is just absolutely sick of this. We're all sick of this, but but everyone in Melbourne is pretty much on board with it, apart from a tiny contingent of wackos. Everyone's like, fucking, I guess this is what we got to do. It sucks, but we're getting the numbers down. It's clearly working. We're all in this together. Let's freaking get this lockdown done so we can, you know, unlock down and not have a lot of old people dying in nursing homes and things like that. Um, and Daniel Andrews has been copping a bit of flack from a bunch of sides, but has also kind of got this really strong support because everyone sees what he's doing. And we don't think he's doing everything right. He's got too many cops. He just seems to have one button and it's lockdown. But he's getting support because we see that he's trying to do this all in it together, fix the virus thing. But then he does this fucking, oh, the first thing. The, 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 the thing yep. that we're allowed to do after a goddamn bloody year of not doing anything is the Cox Plate Cup. And everyone goes, what? <laughs> what? I thought we yeah. were all in this together. I thought I thought this was a Melbourne thing. I thought we were... And then suddenly like, oh, but I guess 500 rich people or 1,000 rich people or whatever it is can go watch a minor horse race. And we're like, we fucking cancelled the grand final. I didn't get to go... <laughs> We don't get to go to weddings or funerals or or anything, but we can do the goddamn Cox Plate. And I, and I reckon he has probably lost just so much support. That was hanging on by a thread because everyone is losing it. And he's just gone, how can I throw away as much public goodwill as possible in one fell swoop? <laughs> and he's fucking done it. He's just, yeah. I don't know. I don't it's, get it. It's wild that he's like, how can I throw away as much public support as possible? I know. I'll reopen Victoria to onshore gas drilling. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> We're all cool with that. But don't you have that fucking horse race, Dan Andrews? Because if he, well, if he had a horse race and then he was like, this horse race marks 
the reopening of Melbourne, you know, and you can all go do stuff. That he might get away with that, away with that. But he said, "Oh, this horse race is happening." Also, we're not easing restrictions yet. We're down to an average of five, and I said we would ease restrictions then, but we're still not. So let's let's just bear this one out. It it makes no sense. Yeah. It's extremely wrongheaded. Um, and the, the one other sort of connected tangent to this that I just wanted to point out was that uh, it's recently become apparent that uh, horse racing billionaire Jonathan Muntz has, uh, is, has been revealed as the person who's funding one of the many high court challenges to mm. Victoria's COVID lockdown laws. Mm. Um, so this is a case that's being brought by like a hospitality business guy. I think he owns a restaurant in like the Mornington Peninsula or something. Oh, just that hospo guy has been running, like in case you've seen any ads, if you live in Melbourne, he's been doing the paste um, poster ads that say, keep, lo- keep uh, Melbourne hospitality unlocked. Uh. Yeah. Oh, right. Ah. I didn't realize that that was his campaign. Well, there you go. Yeah, I mean, the money behind it is a horse racing guy. Of because, course. <laughs> yeah, which, because <sighs> horse racing is just the most cartoon villain shit that we, that like, that you can possibly be involved in, basically. It really is. I mean, we don't have fox hunting. It's the next best thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, it's literally profiting off, like, abusing animals. But beyond that, like, just the image of, being in an in like a rich person box at the horse races holding mm-hmm. a champagne flute is like stock standard 60 minutes go to for like how can we show that this person is an uncaring <laughs> entrepreneur bastard <laughs> and it's just like a dude in a tie and wraparounds at <laughs> at the track being like mm-hmm-hmm. you just shoot it like with a bit of handheld and off you go i mean they like <laughs> that, it's literally shorthand for dodgy fuckhead i mean it should be for some somehow in Melbourne it seems to be like that's who I want to I want to be that guy in a suit and Oakley's on the floor shit faced on the train after the races oh do you know aspirational image I just realized do you know (laughs) that could be us one day (laughs) do you know who's managed to ruin that in the last 10 years um fucking um Gail Waterhouse's son Tom Waterhouse he made it extremely uncool like he was just wait a second He, he made Looking like a dickhead. No, yeah, totally. Look uncool. I'm, I'm dead serious. Like, like for (laughs) all the people that go to the Melbourne Cup, and like who act like dickheads and that sort of thing, it's like yeah, annual rite of passage. But Tom Waterhouse, I think, has been like a massive contributor to making the whole spectacle. He's the he's who is Tom Waterhouse? So Tom Waterhouse is the son of Gail Waterhouse, who is a respected racing identity in Australia. She's had by multiple- racing identity. Do you mean she owns? I know, a gambling right? company. <laughs> so she's had multiple horses. Um, I think her dad had horses as well. Um, and so her son, uh, rather than having horses, um, he started his own own gambling company. Right. And he for has- years, he just hammered the advertising even more so than any other advertising company in Melbourne. Um, there were like his faces were like all over the MCG. Um, it was all over the race course. They just blanketed ads and social media. And it actually got to the point where everyone was like, this dude is fucking annoying. Can we have some regulation mm. on gambling ads? Because this specific dude uh-huh. pisses me off. <laughs> 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 yeah, there's lots of articles uh, later on um, that where Tom Waterhouse comes to terms with the fact that his uh, advertising campaign was "quote unquote" highly polarizing, which, to mm. say the least, yeah, it just fucked everyone off. And this this state <laughs> has such a gambling problem. Like, and oh, th- this is, I think, who knows what Daniel Andrews is thinking because he has thrown away a ton of goodwill. Um, and th- the most obvious answer is 
He's absolutely in bed with the gambling industry. Maybe you don't have a racing minister? Yeah, we have a racing minister. Well, it's yeah, I mean, the, 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 the gambling industry is a huge donor to the Victorian mm. government, like both sides, which is a bit ridiculous. We've but, got a massive yeah. pokies issue. Yeah, we, we get a lot of government funding and taxes from gambling. Um, all of our major events are like sporting, which are propped up in large sections by gambling and pokies. Like even ah. gambling that isn't related to the actual sport still contributes to the funding for the sport. It's disgusting. Many clubs in the football are specifically profitable because of poker machines. Um, mm. There has been like a campaign um, in the last few years. In fact, there's even a round dedicated to saying gambling responsibly or things like that, which is extremely funny to me considering how mm. much of sport is propped up by gambling. But clubs in particular, or at least the socially conscious ones, have been trying to get gambling money out of their business plans. So North Melbourne was the first one. At, uh, they're my team, so I have a bit of a bias there. Um, they were the first team to get um, pokey and gambling money completely out of their finances which is a big deal because they're a small club. But um, teams like Essendon, Hawthorne, they run entire clubs – sorry, they run entire facilities that have poker machines and all these profit goes straight back into the club. God damn it. Mm. Yeah, it's a huge problem. Per capita, like Australia is – the like we have the – uh, the most gambling losses per capita of any country in the world wow. uh, on, on poker machines specifically. And mm. in, in Australia, Victoria is the worst of that. And we have the most mm. poker machines per person. I'm pretty sure we might be second behind New South Wales, but we have the biggest, uh, the biggest chunk of pokey revenue of any state government in Australia is here in Victoria. And as you say, uh, Evie, even on like a private business level, like it's integral to the survival of most pubs and clubs that are, you know, that, that have kind of medium to large capacity. And so there's this enormous social problem with, you know, people on low incomes basically being bled dry by this parasitic industry. Mm. But big business and government are both so reliant on the revenue from those machines that they it, it's basically impossible to like extract uh, poker machines from their business models. But it's it's very cool to hear about some clubs attempting to do it. Um, it's like a long-term business strategy to get Yeah, I, I think that's the thing that you got to say is if you go for anyone other than North Melbourne or the um, the Western Bulldogs, then you're a scab, yeah. right? That's, <laughs> a, that's the line. <laughs> Who do you support? Oh, the, the, well, the, the freaking Hawthorne tapeworms. The- <laughs> uh, Hawthorne has uh, Jeff Kennett as their um, club president as well. So fuck, well. Uh, fuck Hawthorne. <laughs> oh, my God. Am I turning into a football supporter? I'm just hating all these teams out of spite. <laughs> You can hate as many teams as you want. You've got to actually back a team to be a supporter. Go North Melbourne. Just informing the the non-jocks on this podcast as well, Eddie Maguire owns Collingwood and David Kosh is the president of Port, um, Port Adelaide. <laughs> uh, just putting some names out there for teams that you shouldn't support. <laughs> Speaking of cartoon villain shit, owning a, an AFL club has <laughs> got to be pretty up there in Australia. I think, um, <laughs> did we mention though, and this is the this is the wild thing is, they stepped back doing the, the Cox Plate party thing. You, now they're not going to have a, a big, you know, booze up for all the owners and all the owners as, you know... Connections, and, to and use the con- technical term. Connections, i.e. politicians. They're still doing the race. Yeah, the race still happened. It's 750 trainers and jockeys, yeah. Even though no one can go, no one can witness these horses, the horses must still die. <laughs> because we have bred these horses for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to be run and to die 
for our profit. And if you don't run the horse, then I've put, I don't know how much it costs to bloody raise a racehorse. I'm sure it's a shitload of money. I've put a shitload of my dad's money into this racehorse. <laughs> and if if it does not die, I'm going to have stern words with my dad. And he's going to have stern words with Daniel Andrews. Um, so the horses must die. Is there going to be a thing where we're going to like successfully eradicate the horse racing industry in Melbourne, like in you know five years time or something, mm. and then suddenly it becomes really fashionable to own a, a like a rescue horse? <laughs> well, I mean, maybe, or or maybe once a year, rich people will just all get together to ritually shoot a bunch of horses. No, 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 no. I want a horse, and I want to put it in like a fashionable, like one of those onesies. That you can get for greyhounds and just get like a giant one for a horse. <laughs> a little horse jacket. A little bridle that says nervous. <laughs> Trotting down the street in North Carlton, latte in the other hand. This is Jeremy. He's a rescue. <laughs> a lot of Instagrams just to horses on couches with captions say, my precious long boy. Sorry, is this an off-lead horse park? <laughs> <laughs> this is a beautiful dream. I love this because the reality is that they're all going to get shot. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) I mean, let's not shy away from the harsh realities. (laughs) Ah, And you know what? You've got that Daryl Braithwaite song all cute. (laughs) Perfect. I love this story, honestly. This is insane. The government loves mining even more than mining companies do. (laughs) We mentioned that last week in that they're more proud of mining than mining companies are. But this is like, okay. So, Scott Morrison, a couple months ago, uh, you know, he's talking about all the big economic things they're going to do. He's pushing stuff in the budget. They're saying, these are our our big projects we're going to do. And one of them is this uh, multi-billion dollar expansion of the Olympic Dam mine in South Australia. Um, Scott Morrison's like, we're going to expand this mine. It's this big, important mine. It, it mines, you know, copper and uranium and uh, uh, different minerals. Makes this big song and dance about how this is like national economic significance. We're going to fast track it. And then a little while after that, BHP said, well, actually, no, we're not going to do that um, because it doesn't make economic sense. That mine is not actually worth the money um, and we don't want to do it. And this is wild to me because this isn't this isn't BHP saying, hey, government, we're going to do this mine. Can we have some money and funding for it? This is the government saying BHP is going to do this mine. And BHP says, what? No, no, we're not. (laughs) Yeah, we were thinking about doing the mine, but. It's just yeah, we, we, it's, it's a major project of national economic significance, BHP. Right? It's got to be done. It's so weird to me because it's like, who who is this for? Who are they pandering yeah. to? Because obviously the economic rationale isn't there, and yeah. there's not. It's not like jobs and growth either, because we know that like new mines employ, unexpanded mines employ very few people. But it's so, so it's like surely this is aimed at just like shoring up support from the mining lobby because that's your entire job as a liberal government. But then. The mining lobby's like, nah. It's like the you're sucking up to someone so hard that you've yeah. just completely surpassed anything that, that like they don't even want to be associated with you anymore. They're like, oh, this is getting weird, man. I think <laughs> it, it just gets into pure politics. He's just gone uh, mining good, 
economy good. We've got to say we're doing stuff. He's constantly making announcements for funding and projects, and he doesn't actually give a shit whether or not they happen, and they often don't. Yeah, the announcement, the allure of the announcement. Exactly, he loves an announcement. BHP learned this expansion was on the major project list when he made the announcement. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Oh, my God. What I want to know is, I would love to know, so BHP decided that this project didn't make economic sense they'd probably done yeah. like the exploration they'd probably like taken some tests of what's available there and decided nah it's yeah. not for us well it was an expansion so, of an existing it's mine. An expansion of existing mine does so when they say that it didn't make economic sense to do the expansion does that mean that mm. there's not enough for them to actually mine because that makes me laugh thinking uh, that scott morrison has just basically okayed them just digging for no reason <laughs> They're just drilling into like an empty seam. Yeah. Come on, BHP. There's got to be something out there. Maybe some Aboriginal heritage sites you could destroy. That come <laughs> on. It might be that it made you know it makes a bit of profit, but not enough to outweigh the risk. It might be that all manner of things. There, there. I'm sure there were minerals there. Just somewhere on the BHP profit loss matrix, they decided it didn't make sense. Who's to say why? Mm. Um, but the point being. BHP wasn't gung-ho about this. They didn't want to do it. The government just decided mine's good. It's busy work for FIFA workers. It's just like, okay, yeah, here's some jobs. Like, you didn't ask for it, but I'm just going to give it to you. Mining for the sake of mining. It's it's funny how whenever there's a a major project that needs huge amounts of cash thrown at it to expedite the bloody approval of things, it's never solar panels or forestry protection or cape cups for poor people. It's... It's always mines. It's always mines. Oh. Oh, speaking of solar panels, though, yeah. there was some good news the other day. That was uh, South Australian... That uh, or the South Australia's entire power supply came from yeah, renewables yeah, here we go. over the last yeah. month. All yeah. of South Australia's power comes from solar panels in World First for major jurisdiction is the, is the headline. Um, they generated enough uh, solar power that it powered 100% of the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, sounds pretty um, unreliable to me. What if the sun goes behind a cloud? <laughs> yeah. You know, they had a good run, but, you know, that's just luck, yeah. what if ultimately. A, what if a storm knocks down a a, a power there you go. cable that was connecting to the, the renewables, huh? What are you going to do about that? Well, I heard that last night when the sun went down, the whole state was plunged into chaos, um, and now everyone's dead because solar panels don't work at night. <laughs> uh, every night is the purge in South Australia, yeah, as soon as the sun goes down. They have to rebuild civilization from scratch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing about South Australia, though. They're resilient, <laughs> because, I mean, every night the sun goes down and they all die, but then every morning the sun comes back up and they're all reborn. So. They burrow out of the desert sound like frogs. <laughs> <laughs> Adelaide's a weird city. <laughs> And I heard that in the Northern Territory, and actually this is just off the top of my head, I don't even have notes for this one. They're looking at building a giant solar power installation to export power to Singapore and stuff. Um, huge amounts Come of on. There's actually a market for your Well, land. they could just use that solar power here, but also it goes to show, like, just fucking build the renewables. This is not Can we just hard. get some fucking renewables? We don't need renewables. We have coal. But elsewhere, <sighs> where there's no coal... We need to send them right. our renewables. <laughs> you need to look at it from a business perspective. Can you build a solar plant in North Queensland and send it to me? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. Also, um, China is going to stop importing coal. Or they have stopped importing coal from Australia in large sections of their economy. Um, oh, and they've just gone, hey, we're, uh, we're going to try to be real green. Uh, we've got this really 
really ambitious, like, zero-carbon thing. Also, Australia's being kind of shitty recently. How about we just stop importing Australian coal? And Australia went, what? <laughs> but now how will we use an excuse to keep digging the coal? <laughs> I've, I've seen that in uh, the Liberal Party's new budget, they uh, they put in an assumption that China would actually restart their imports of Australia's coal and actually import a hundred times more. Did they? Did they have that? Uh, or you who knows? Okay. They also predicted that a cure for coronavirus would be discovered <laughs> next year. So why not? The budget's basically astrology uh. at this point. <laughs> I mean, what is economics really? <laughs> Astrology. <laughs> Astrology for men. It is. It's, horos- it's It's horoscopes for boys, yeah. For very clever little boys. <laughs> I think economics is just mining, because whenever the government says this will be good for the economy, what they're saying is this will be good for mining. Yeah, it'll be good for the mining economy. Yeah. But Which... what's, what's, what's the problem? Unlike any economics, astrology is actually real, so... <laughs> That's an extremely Leo thing to say, <laughs> I, I assume. Capricorn, thank you very much. <laughs> oh, no. Is that, have I mortally offended you? Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> Typical Capricorn. This is an argument for a different podcast. <laughs> I'm a Scorpio and I will not have it. Uh, here's another example of just like blatant, hilarious lying being done by the mining sector and friends. You always hear about like, ah, oh, this mine's going to employ a gajillion workers and revitalize the economy and build battle mechs or whatever. Um, <laughs> the Queensland Resource Council... Puts out all these ads now. I don't live in Queensland. I don't see these ads. Um, but if you do, send us a tweet. Claiming things like, oh, the Queensland Resource Council members, which are mines and resource industries, employ more than 370,000 workers. Wow, that seems like a lot. Oh, so many. <laughs> We're making lots of jobs. They actually, according to their records, the Queensland Resource Council members directly employ about 37,000 workers. So one ten. I mean, did it- the amount they claim. They so said, they're saying that they employ 370,000. They're saying But it's they, really just 37,000. They're saying they create 370,000 jobs when they actually directly employ less than 37,000 <laughs> full-time workers. All right, this this might be a bit of a, a, a bit of a long bow, but uh, who wrote this ad campaign, <laughs> Angus Taylor? <laughs> This is a reference to the Clovermore saga where he uh, fudged a document to make it look like her expenditure on air flights was about 10 times more than it. Anyway, yeah, uh, yeah. there's a lot more jobs than they actually create. Because, yeah, you can just make up numbers when you're talking about employment because you go, oh, yeah, but for every mining guy, he's got a, a supermarket guy who he gets food from or whatever. I was going to say, I create several jobs yeah. just going about my day. I'm a huge job creator. I order food from uh, Uber Eats. Uh, I buy pet food. Um, I ordered some yeah. fancy organic underpants online the other day. I created about 15 jobs when I did that. Yeah, nice. it's, this, it's this super sloppy modeling because they're obviously trying to go for the biggest number possible. Um, and it's it's this, this sort of jobs modeling technique they use is so insane that they say, okay, the Queensland Resource Council claims that they contribute about 40, over 46,000 full-time jobs to the electorate of McConnell. Now, the Electoral Commission of Queensland says McConnell has just under 40,000 enrolled voters. So the Queensland <laughs> Resource Council is so good at making jobs that they have made jobs 
for the entire electorate plus a bunch of uh, another electorate. Could be could be children, Lang. There's no one there working in supermarkets. There's no one there. To, everyone is supporting the Queensland Resource Council and there's other people sneaking in under the cover of darkness who don't even <laughs> register to vote in that electorate. It, it could be that or it could be these new ultra jobs that the mining industry has been creating <laughs> where the jobs are so good and the people are so employed mm. that it actually counts twice or three times. Wait a, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Does that... If they pay a CEO a hundred times the Australian median wage, are they counting that as a hundred jobs? Is right. that what they're doing? Boom. You just got fucking employed by the Resources Council, my friend. That's the kind of blue sky thinking we need. Those figures are going straight to Liberal Party headquarters. They're going on Scott Morrison's next press release. Maybe they're doing it in like 1700s numbers where they're like, a small child could carry one bucket of coal and that was a full-time job. Ah, but this giant truck driven by one guy carries a million buckets of coal, so it's a million jobs. (laughs) I love the idea. We pay people enough money to support 370,000 humans to live. We just only give that to 37,000 people. (laughs) Um, Well, exactly. And that's the thing. If you have uh, a good mining job, it is probably a pretty good job. Um, they're, they're pretty uniony jobs, you know, they, they require a high level of expertise, you know, you can fly in and fly out in a water jet ski and stuff, but we still can't claim that these jobs are supporting most of the economy because it's still only a very small number of, of people and the profits from this are all going to these people who own the bloody mines. So, and of course the taxpayers are, are paying for subsidies to the, all of these mining industries as fast as they can. But what I love here is that the economist that is looking at this modelling from the Australian Bureau of Statistics, um, he says, if we applied this model to the rest of the Queensland economy, we would say the Queensland economy employs about 10 million people. Um, but Australia's total workforce is about 12 million people. So... I guess just 90% of Australia works for the Queensland economy and most of the Queensland economy is in the resources sector. We just don't know it. I mean, that's, that is quite accurately how the government sees Australia, though, that we are a life support system for the mining industry, basically. Oh, my God. You're totally yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, if you, if, you, if you pull at the thread long enough, the Australian <laughs> leftist podcasting industry is, is propping up Queensland coal. That's a, <laughs> one of the pillars. <laughs> we pay taxes. Our taxes go to the mining sector. That makes sense. So we were talking about sport earlier on and as the jock of the podcast, this particular piece of news really um, pleased me a lot. The AFL has cut its ties with Rio Tinto. Hey. Now, what, so what kind of ties did the AFL had with Rio Tinto, you may ask? Well, they've had... I do ask. <laughs> we're here, Evie. We, we can <laughs> ask they've that. Had, <laughs> the AFL has had uh, been a major sponsor of Indigenous Pathway programs into the AFL. So they fund three Indigenous football programs and also lots of uh, Indigenous players' sponsorships. Mm. Well, that's always good. So all of this seems really great, aside from the fact that they are also a company responsible for destroying um, precious... Cultural Everything. artifacts, yes, for destroy for pretty much oh, blowing. Oh, is this apart. the same Rio Tinto that blew up the Duke and Gorge? It, it oh, certainly is. Dang, it certainly is. Oh, that's is. embarrassing. Oh, shit, <laughs> egg on their face. So this is interesting to me because the AFL, being possibly one off, if not the biggest sporting outfit in Australia, 
um, deciding on the basis of uh, like realizing that it's culturally inappropriate to withdraw funding from a major sponsor, especially a mining company in Australia, that is huge news. Mm. And I feel like yeah, that's awesome. And I feel like it didn't really get that much coverage because this is proof that enough pressure to t- like to turn the tide on having these kind of sponsors out of sports and out of cultural significance it works and so was this after Duke and Gorge it was after Duke and Gorge um, okay. the head of inclusion at the AFL uh, Tanya Hosh uh, she was in consultation with indigenous groups and leaders and they all welcomed mm. the decision uh, in the end she mm. told um, news outlets that she wasn't able to comment on further details but it has definitely come from a wider consultation process that is specifically led from the Duke and Mine explosion. Mm. Um, it's also worth noting that only two sports people who I can think of in like the major leagues in Australia really stuck their head out over this. One of them is Joe Danaher, who's an Essendon player. Don't really like the team Essendon, but Joe Danaher can stay. And <laughs> former Big Bash League cricketer Ben Abadangelo. So they've been quite vocal about this and saying, you know, we can't in like, you know, it's not fair to have players play if they don't agree in good conscience with where their money is coming from. That's really good. So it's it's really fantastic. But meanwhile, BHP has just signed a $5 million sponsorship for the league earlier this year. Yeah. It's currently still in process. And it's something that really upsets me because they are a major sponsor for the women's AFL league. Mm. And so mm. much, like, it, it is it is a massive bugbear. This is clearly for my own podcast to talk about this, but um, the, the AFL Women's League has an absolute pittance in terms of official money coming from the AFL as a corporation. And yeah. most of their money comes from sponsorship. And, of course, one of those is BHP. So they have jumper sponsors for some of the teams. They also give a lot of scholarship money as well. Gil McLaughlin, who's um, the head of the AFL, has been doing lots of talking spots on TV as well, saying how great BHP is for giving them money to allow women to play sport. And, yeah, like clearly there are lots of you know players who don't agree with this decision, but yeah. because of the politics of the AFL and them being a major sponsor, they clearly don't feel comfortable in saying so. I would say Joe Danaher is probably one of the few who did feel comfortable in saying so because he's a multi he's part of a multi-generational family of AFL players and probably as a beloved son of Essendon feels a little bit more comfortable in saying, hey, this is fucked. Yeah. Well, this now he's the- just got to blow up the bloody pokies, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> but this is the problem with sponsorships like this and and – you know what? Maybe I'll go as far to say this is most of the point of sponsorships like this is yeah. that if you are a horrible bunch of villains like Rio Tinto and BHP, and I don't think there's anyone out there who's like, fuck yeah, I love Rio Tinto with my whole heart. I'm just a big Rio Tinto fan um, <laughs> who isn't directly getting paid for that. No one loves a mining company. A lot of people hate mining companies, but if they sponsor something people do love, like sports, um, Suddenly, it's like having a hostage. They go, oh, what's that? Oh, the government's taxing us a bit more. I guess we won't be able to afford all this sports you love so much. Yeah. Or, oh, what's that? We can't blow up whatever we want. Oh, well, guess we'll just have to get rid of women's feminism because we <laughs> sponsored that. Um, <laughs> and it's it's kind of like this is that cycle of privatization. The government goes, oh, we're going to stop funding this thing, but that's okay because they're getting sponsored by big private corporation, suddenly big private corporation has control over 
something that's important to your life, suddenly you can't sort of criticize them because, oh, they run. And you can't speak back. Yeah, they run the hospitals or they run the sports or they're, you know, running our our parking lots and offshore detention centers. Nationalize everything. And, nationalize and it ties, sports. And, yeah, nationalize sports for sure. Like there's no reason why the AFL shouldn't be nationalized. This ties into our previous conversation about the pokies as well. It's basically has mm. teams and players um, thinking that they will not exist unless they have that source of money coming through. And the smaller teams who have divested from pokies and from mining company money and what have you, uh, like unethical investments, they prove that it's possible. But the larger teams and the AFL as a whole um, still conflicts with that idea and they still take that money and they still have that sort of threat over players and smaller clubs' heads saying, if you don't take that money, well, then where are you going to be? You're going to be in the red, yeah. you're going to be bought out, you'll be sold off. Look, Evie, if we stop mining coal in Australia, it's pretty it's pretty clear people will stop wanting to watch football. Oh, absolutely. Like, I, I won't stop. I'll stop watching footy as soon as BHP uh, stops sponsoring <laughs> the women's team because why would I watch women's football We need otherwise? the coal to have the football. We need it. <laughs> Let's wrap it up maybe with like just in terms of like how we can like that's a good sort of way of influencing um, companies to act ethically or. Wait, what's a good way to influence companies to act yeah. ethically? Be a member of a beloved sports family? <laughs> <laughs> if you're in a position of privilege, you should use it. Well, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. But also I think when you're a part of like a club or something that's sponsored, it makes it harder to speak out. Um because then it's like, oh, no, what if I say something bad about our beloved sponsors? And then they're like, oh, whoops, you're fired. Um, this is, okay, I've got a personal story uh, from my career. I, like a decade ago, was part of a thing called the Shell Questacon Science Circus, which is, you know, travel around the country teaching kids about science in rural schools. Really good uh, little enterprise. You know, I, I got some experience. I got a degree. Um, we all went out and we, we taught kids in indigenous communities, fun science stuff, went out to rural schools who never get to have cool science museums. And we had this little pop-up museum and, and all that's really good. But the whole thing was sponsored partly by Shell. Um, I think it was half Shell, half maybe the Questacon. government and, and a bit of ANU and, and Questacon, but Questacon is, is a government run, uh, museum. And we, I, do, I don't like to think that that actually like caused much conflict of interest because we were just talking fundamental science like physics chemistry you know how planes work stuff like that all, all that like primary school science stuff we didn't get into things like climate change and stuff but even so i think if we did decide that maybe we should talk about climate change or or, or people wanted to ask us some questions and things the fact that we're there with a big truck with a big shell logo on it colorful shirts with a big shell logo on them it's hard to be like, oh, we've got to stop burning fossil fuels because that's destroying the world. It's hard to do what we're doing here on the podcast where we say all fossil fuel executives must die and soon um, <laughs> while you've got a big Allegedly. Sh- <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> I'm just, that's just the science, McLean. I'm just saying the science. <laughs> because people go, well, why have you got a big shell logo on you? Clearly, you're somehow conflicted. You can't you can't stand there on stage wearing a big Shell logo and say Shell is bad because people go, what the fuck is happening? Um, and you might feel a bit weird and awkward about that. So 
That's just my little thing. Hey, Shell Quest Conscience Circus, you should stop being sponsored by Shell. It's one of the sort of fundamental, like, tools that capitalism has to keep dissent mm. and activism down is that by nature of being born into this system, you are to a certain extent compromised. And it's a little bit like that mm. webcomic that always goes around. Mm. Ah, you, you criticize society, yet I see you participate in it. Haha, <laughs> I am very smart. Um, but it's <laughs> at some, some point or another, you're going to have to say, yeah, look, I may not have my nose totally clean when talking about this issue. We're talking about, I don't know, animal rights, but I still eat meat or fossil mm. fuels, but I still drive a car. Like to a certain extent, we're all compromised in one way or another. And you're just kind of going to have to accept that nobody is going to be able to speak from a position of total purity and you need to be able to advocate for a world where we can all live more lives that are more in line with our own ethical beliefs without like being like, oh, well, you know, I take part in it and may benefit from these systems in some way or another. I can't criticize them. Hmm. I think it's, it's partly that. It's partly also the, the landlord thing where it's like, oh, but this landlord it gives you a house to live in. It's like, no, that landlord has taken that land, claimed it's theirs, and is now renting it back to me. Um, they've created a position where I'm forced to accept this. Thing. Yeah, exactly. I, I think people, they take the line, like, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism and use that as an excuse to sort of lay down their arms mm. and say, well, this is too hard to change. But yeah. getting a major sporting event to get rid of a major sponsor... A mining sponsor in Australia is an unfathomably mm. huge thing. It is a lot of money, a lot of, you know, commercial clout for them it, it, to be in the communities. Like, it's a, as you can tell, like, you know, where their money was going to, which was specifically to Aboriginal programs, um, mm. that was their sort of social niceties. Mm. And Social license. Yeah, so their social license. Um, and is that hold on? Does that mean that now that they've cut ties with Rio Tinto, that they've got to cancel those programs? That's the question. Or are they going to fund them somehow? So, else? so the the that's the question at the moment. So they're trying to figure out how they're going to get funding for it. And the agreement that's some yeah it, this Green Mile shit. Yeah, where mm. they're like you know the you know the Green Mile where he he tricks the twin sisters into not. Like speaking so that he can murder them, and the 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 guy's like, "Oh, he killed them with their love. He killed oh. them with their love." It's the it's it's that where they're just like, "Oh, you you hate coal, but you know if you get rid of coal, suddenly your indigenous sport like apprenticeship mm. program's going to get destroyed as well." It's such and so people have to shut up about it's it. It's benevolent capitalism. It's like, well, here I am giving you money. You should be thankful mm. for it. Mm. But you, it, it like you know, it's up to us to make sure that us and our communities are in a position to say, you know what, fuck you. We don't need your money. Well, it's, yeah, I'll give you this little crumb and you should be grateful. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, you just got to, obviously there's no no perfect way to survive under capitalism, but it's like, just don't take money from the mob, kind of, if you can help it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the mob would be better to take money from. In, in this. <laughs> yeah, they're actually genuinely involved in the local community. <laughs> also, just quietly, the AFL can definitely fund those scholarships themselves. Like, despite yeah. COVID or anything like that, they can definitely do continue those programs. Yeah, well, you're still making a profit for your CEO. Clearly, you have money. Yeah. If they don't continue, they chose not to. The idea that something could meaningfully happen to the AFL is ridiculous. Like, the idea that there's sort of any sequence of events that would result in Australians not wanting to watch football anymore, <laughs> which is fundamentally the reason that it's happening. It's absurd. They want to take that coal. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm not even going to say actions this week. We got nothing. Oh, dear. Just just hang in there. <laughs> actions. Um, fire out. What can we do? We're angry about the world. What do we do about it? Go outside in the park. Yeah. Chill out. Go race your own greyhounds. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, yep, kick off with that. Actions this week. Go kick a football in the park. Yeah. You're allowed. You don't need a BHP sponsorship to go out to a park and kick a football. They don't own sports. It's spring. <laughs> the weather's a bit patchy at the moment, but it's doable. Like you could, like it's a bit overcast right now, but you could go outside. Yeah, give it another decade. Oh, no, I won't. I won't. Uh, too grim. Too no. grim. <laughs> Cut that. Much, much, much too grim. Also, listen to listen to us, Pulse Snack Pod. That's not really an action. That's more of a shout out. Shout out. Shout out to this Oz week. Pulse Listen, Snack Pod. We'll take it. Tell us about it. Tell us about Oz yeah, Pulse Snack, Snack Pod, Zach. Oh, it's like this, but with less people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, no, I mean, you can find us uh, on all your regular podcast listening apps and on all the socials at Oz Pulse Snack Pod. I feel like I probably don't need to spell that, right? People will probably be able to. Yeah, you can have you a can nut it out. Yeah. yeah, we'll give you a link in the notes. Yeah, follow the link. But yeah, we we do a weekly uh, sort of comedy-esque news-ish show uh, and we have a lot of fun. Um, And yeah, it'd be awesome if you came and checked it out. Yeah, I I think that I love about Ospol Snack Pod is how, without even coordinating, we manage to cover almost completely separate topics every week. Mm. I I don't know how we do it. There's too much damn news. That's the problem. Yeah, it is. Every fucking week. week. News happens too much at the moment. We need to be in sync. (laughs) And have like a it's double. Like we have podcast. one scandal at a time. We didn't even talk about ah whatever's happening in Queensland. Ah, or New South Wales. We still haven't mentioned Gladys Berejiklian. Right? <laughs> that was a big deal. And we, still haven't, we still haven't ah. mentioned the ASIC boss. Fuck. Like everyone's taking oh money God. this week. Here's a shout out. Go read the news. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's ridiculous. Like every week we have a, and uh, you guys have a two down here at the bottom of your notes, like a section of, we had to cut this story for time. And it's like that every week that list just gets longer and longer. We're mm. like, ah, oh, we still haven't addressed the fact that a Victoria's top public servant resigned. We just haven't talked about it. Like that is right. just like, oh, that wasn't even the seventh most important thing that happened this week. Yeah. <laughs> Mat- Matthias Corman's trying to get a job in the OECD. Read about that yourselves. He's a jerk. <laughs> just imagine us swearing a lot. Um, and on the other end of the spectrum, if, you, if you've had enough news, um, <laughs> Evie was a guest on Trash Bunker. Uh, recently. Yes, so it, it's a movie podcast, but we come at it, they came at it with a, the lens of uh, just making shit up about the, the motivations of Disney <laughs> movies. It's so fun. Um, I went on and I talked about Brave, um, which is a very good uh, attempt at a girl boss movie. It's not really that- It was for about the first half hour. Yeah, it's not really a girl And then boss they all movie. turn into bears. It yeah. was not yeah. what I was I- expecting. <laughs> I really enjoyed that podcast because it I really got the impression that you guys, just in recording that podcast, thought more deeply about the meaning of Brave than the people who created Brave did. Absolutely. <laughs> well, um, well, thanks for being on the pod, Zach. Yeah. I- I'm so sorry for subjecting you to more sports than you could ever possibly <laughs> imagine happening on a politics podcast. We have fun. <laughs> but no, it was my pleasure. That's my yearly fill. Well, look, honestly, it only ever comes up when you're complaining about how everything surrounding sports is shit. So in in a way, it like, yeah, you know, it works out for me. And also, I think when it comes to Melbourne sports it is politics. Well, that's it. And yeah. politics is gambling. And I kind of didn't 
like not to jump back into the conversation, but when you know, <laughs> jump back in, jump back. There was in. the. He, all right, here I go. Both feet. There was. I think it was um, the Wallabies this week said that they wouldn't take a knee uh, at some Ooh. sports oh, yeah. game or another That's because. Right. They don't want to make a political statement. It's like, Ugh. bro, how is that not a political statement? Uh. Not supporting Black Lives Matter is a political statement. But I think also, I mean, it's just like kind of what we're saying before in the sense that everything is touched by capitalism. Mm. Everything is touched by the political and economic systems that we exist under. Nothing is apolitical. And so sport naturally falls into that. And I think there's this because it's a release for most people. It's something you do in your spare time. You're like, I don't want to think about all that other shit. I literally just want to watch these lanky boys in short shorts running around the pitch <laughs> like, and drink a beer. Um, don't make me think about government at the same time, uh, which is fair. But at the end of the day, like, it's not apolitical. It's, mm. it's, you're right. It, sport is Everything's politics. touched. Because, yeah. That is an there excellent wrap up. I was going to make some joke about how, uh, you know, everything's political, even like, you know, uh, I'm going to take this opportunity to spend the whole next episode talking about like just uh, indie video games (laughs) because there's political stuff. And I was like, wait, no, they're so political. Like just even today, the developer of Caves of Could was under like massive fire because he refused to let players play as the fascist faction because he's like, they're fascists. No. And everyone's like, my freedom of speech. Now we're going to have to put that in the notes as well. <laughs> anyway, thanks again for coming on, Zach. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Um, yeah, listen to Osbos Nackblood and uh, listen to us. Uh, th- this I'm just going to transition really smoothly into the outro because <laughs> that's going to be a nightmare for me to edit. So it's a little prank <laughs> on myself. Uh, <laughs> thanks for listening to another episode of uh, Not Good Enough. You can get in touch with us on all the socials at Not Good Pod and uh, reach us on email, notgoodpod at protonmail.com. Uh, let us know what you think. Not Good Enough was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters and culture. Colonization and genocide are ongoing processes that continue to this day. Sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Indigenous land.